with her interior design boutique firm Isages Atelier founded in 2014 Isages Atelier was awarded the best design award at Ward E Asia a women powered design award ceremony that celebrate women designers although she has uh, a limited but like really impactful work in her last 4 5 years of career uh, i'm here to discuss with her before and after of interior design projects so thank you sarah for giving your time and it's a real pleasure to have you on audio again thank you so much i'm so excited to be here and i'm really looking forward to having a good chat with you th- here today yeah so obviously uh, i've come up with few questions and uh, few of them would be philosophical few of them would be a more uh, practical approach towards certain things but yes. i would like you to just uh, share any uh, particular case study also if you have as we speak and as the conversation goes along sure. but to set the context uh, i was very intrigued by my own question that uh, what like how do you perceive a before and a after and this goes on at multiple levels right yes. so one level is obviously at a site specific level where uh, there's a particular site or a particular house or particular office uh, and you have to so that's we can call it as like a before hmm. and then after so hmm. that's one uh dimension uh which we can talk about and one is uh since you're the fourth generation of designers uh designer how has what has been your journey in terms of the kind of content you consume when you were young mm. and when mm. you were like a child and uh what your parents or grandparents or great grandparents also thought about as designing spaces so if you can just set the background by telling me both the aspects which are sure. you can pick one so i think i'll start with just contextualizing this conversation a bit with my background and information uh we grew up in a family where design was everything i mean literally absolutely everything but the design we're talking about was art antiques jewelry um all kinds of old curios that were collected uh through the years so what happened is that after independence 1947 a lot of the kings were stripped of their titles and uh, they didn't have any income so they were given you know these 25 room palaces and they were given a stipend from the government of like 5000 rupees and 10000 rupees so what used to happen is that they started selling off all their stuff and because we have such old connections and relationships to them through you know the four generations of the family we basically had access to the best of indian art antiques jewelry curios design Mm-hmm. for my entire life so some of the stuff that i've seen i remember literally like being age 7 and 8 and seeing um some guy like uh you know one of the kings i think was uh selling something of his and he came and as payment he put a uh, literally the size of a rock like that would fit in your entire hand he put down an emerald of that size on the table wow 
to and obviously like my dad was like this is ridiculous you know this is not how we do business but we have seen some crazy stuff growing up and the amount of like passion that my grandfather had for design as well was ridiculous and we lived with him we worked with him at the store uh seen him through everything so he used to always always you know bring us into the store and show us and say this is wrong this is very ugly this is bad this is not the proportion this is not how it's supposed to be then he showed us the good thing and then he said this is very good look at the line so basically things relating to design and proportion was drilled into us from day one like mm-hmm. i don't even remember a time in my life where things did not revolve around design but all of it was super old school and antiques and curios and things that had a history and now the after is that first of all i'm the first generation that's a girl it's been three generations of men so there i feel like there was certain sense of confusion as to how things are going to be taken forward and the company was always called isaji and sons mm-hmm. and we removed the and sons and made it only isajis and now there's a girl that's you know coming to the front of the business so the after has been quite dramatic because now we've moved into doing very very contemporary spaces we do completely modern new fresh things so it is a complete change and a complete uh, diametrically opposite direction to what was being done before mm-hmm. before was like you know uh these men that were super experts in you know either bronze or like a silver or like a tapestry and doing you know these trades and now my dad and i have both moved into to doing very contemporary work large scale projects construction work uh, well building work execution of you know various things so like after the terrorist attacks 2611 my dad was one of the first people that went back into the taj on like day 2 after the attacks mm-hmm. and he assessed the entire building and then he he did a large chunk of all the renovations that happened mm-hmm. so we made everything new so the before and after is is quite dramatic there mm-hmm. and and, me, and sorry if i may interrupt yeah. before um like you mentioned bronze and other yes, materials right yes. so maybe you not that much but maybe your dad must have observed the the change in type of materials as well right absolutely so so, so can... with my dad it's really interesting i tried working with him i mean i did work with him for 5 years and uh, frankly we both drove each other totally nuts it was mutual we both drove each other mad because we have very different views of the world so uh, for him you know he's seen this entire obsession that people had with art and antiques and for me i feel like i'm seeing people move away from it If I look at my contemporaries or my generation, if you show them an Osler chandelier that costs you ten lakhs of rupees, and you show them the Osler replica that costs you one lakh, people do not understand because they don't have that frame of reference to understand the value of an Osler chandelier. They'll pick up the one lakh chandelier, and then for the other nine lakhs, they'll go to like Fendi Casa, buy some horrific Italian furniture that has no <laughs> value, you know. So. my generation has now lost that understanding and they do not have the context anymore for understanding the true value of something old mm-hmm. something precious something which comes with a heritage we've completely lost the plot mm-hmm. like you know we like things because it looks glossy and pretty and even if it doesn't have any value that's okay like look at what's happening with online furniture shopping right we're buying particle board and mdf furniture 
which we know is going to disintegrate in two years. We know it's a wasteful practice, right? It's bad for the environment. It's bad. It's just a bad practice in general. You're not being able to make a commitment to furniture for a long time. But we still do it. And our entire generation world is moving in that direction. So if the the world is moving in that direction, how would you make a commitment to spend 50 lakhs on a bronze or two crores on a bronze, you know? Mm -hmm. For my generation, they don't understand that at all. So my dad and I definitely have very different references, different experiences, because for him, the people he deals with, they understand it perfectly. Mm -hmm. They know. They know if one line is wrong somewhere. And my generation, which is now coming into money and wants to spend it, they don't have a clue. They literally (laughs) don't have a clue. And how will they? Nobody taught them. So I was taught... But I don't think too many people around me understand that same value, Mm. which is why I don't think it makes sense if you want to make money and you want to grow to sell things that is, you know, that people are not able to understand anymore. Mm. And obviously, there's a classic cliche line also, right? You see what you want to see, right? And that's what is happening with the type of content you're consuming. Yes. You are really not bothered about the proportions or the form in general or maybe the function also. Yes. And there's copies of everything. So like, you know, even we went, uh, I went this year for my first time to Salone in Milan. And um, it was a ridiculously, you know, eye-opening experience. But what was happening is that there were these large contingencies of Chinese people that were coming And there was like five people in a team. One person was measuring. One person was looking at material. One person was, you know, uh, eyeing the proportion. One person. So, and that entire team is making notes because you're not allowed to take pictures. So we literally saw a woman, my friend saw a woman using her cell phone as a measurement. So she was flipping her cell phone over multiple times to see like eight cell phones makes the length, four cell phones makes the breadth, you know, and measuring and writing because you're not allowed to take pictures. And then this entire range of everything is being copied at one-fourth of the price, you know. Mm. So this entire our culture is changing. Like at the time of Bakara, Osler, you know, when we had these ridiculous bronzes made, this, this social media, internet, copying, it didn't exist. Art was art and art was pure. And now we just copy anything nice we see. Like, look at Pinterest, look at house. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We look at pictures, it's nice. I'll take little of this, little of this. So original thought is gone. Mm-hmm. Because our brain is already so clouded with so many images from various places that we no longer have original thought. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have original thought, how do you how do you appreciate something original? Like, you don't even know how to. Mm-hmm. You've never seen something like that before. Mm-hmm. So that's... That's to answer the before and after for the family. And for the before and after of projects. And I would like to just add uh, one more question to the before and after of a particular site. Sure. Is that if I draw a parallel or like take just a numerical value, right? Something is in minus two, minus three, minus. And then it comes to zero and then it comes to one, two, three. If I draw it like very loosely. Yes. where does that zero also fit in, right? Because mm. there's no one point, because I recently am doing my Your interior. Your own house, so, yes. Yeah. So there is no one point in time that, yes, from now it's called new. Mm. Right? So how does, how how blur that boundary is? Is it black and white? Uh, if you can share your So experience. I think like before and after transformations for me are two phase. One is for the space and one is for the client. And the client mentality. So I'll tackle the space question first. So obviously before and after something we love seeing. 
I love watching those shows where there's like you know the really fat person and then they like go to the gym <laughs> and then like they have the transformation and then they like tear themselves open from that you know picture of the old body and then they come out with this new like really hot body and then everyone's like clapping so we're basically doing the same thing for homes we're taking homes that are not in the best shape that have a lot of potential and then you know we're completely transforming them or restaurants or spaces so i think as human being somewhere in our brain seeing the before and after it's extremely therapeutic to see that you know something that was so beautiful all along was hiding in this very ugly uh you know mask or whatever it is and now the designer has broken it free of that mm-hmm. so the before and after of those sites it's always a lot of fun and that's the big reason why i do interior design and i think uh, i'm one of the few designers that is very particular about tracking the before and after mm-hmm. because a lot of designers of course they'll take the pictures of the completed project everyone does but for me the first thing i do is i take the all the before pictures and i keep them very 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 carefully because for me mentally just to see that after it's so hugely rewarding to see you know a space completely turn around but the other before and after that i find more rewarding is the emotional and mental state of a client mm-hmm. so we've had projects in the past where we started out with clients that would um, i would tell them like you know please you know take out some budget for art and all and they'll be like ye kya hai mujhe nahi i don't want to spend 1 lakh we got a message from a client recently who was like this painting that you've shown me my 3 year old nephew can draw it better and oh, you know like so people <laughs> just don't a lot of people are very resistant to art and art is my first true love so there are by the end of most of my projects the amount of education that people have and appreciation that they have for art and design becomes completely different you know completely different so that before and after transformation i find to be much more rewarding because it's a mental switch so you've actually changed the mentality of someone who didn't think so if i would tell you why don't you spend like 5 lakhs on a rug you'll be like are you dumb that doesn't make any sense why would i spend so much money but then if i actually take you to the workshop i show you how much is being done how each knot is actually made the quality of the thread how it's dyed where the yarn is brought from that entire process the story then 5 lakhs doesn't seem like such a high price for a rug so just understanding that and getting that education is the better before and after for me because each client then gets changed and Mm-hmm. becomes a better or more informed person. Oh, wow, that's a very different perspective of educating a client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. like it's really fun because we get clients all the time on our projects like when they'll finish they'll be like Sara, you know, when we started the project I thought like this was such a waste of my money. Now I'm using it every day. I love it so much. Thank you. And these are things that I will like have arguments for weeks with the client over because they're saying I don't want to spend and I'll say no you must spend and they'll say no not on this not on this not on this and then eventually I will insist and they will do it and then they will always come back and say you know what thank you I'm so glad mm-hmm. and that transformation of the before and after is ridiculously rewarding like that just feels amazing mm-hmm. that's what you work for right like yeah, right, right. you actually feel like because it's not like i'm a doctor saving lives or like i'm really doing something that makes some big difference to society but at least if i teach someone appreciation and love for art and design i feel like somewhere i am being true to the legacy of my grandfather and great grandfather and 
because that's what they did right mm-hmm. they educated people in what was good design so I feel like I'm doing the same thing in a very very different way mm-hmm. but somewhere that same um, thread Trend is, is continuing yeah, yes yeah, yeah yeah it's sort of yeah evangelizing because <coughs> i believe uh, that's also part and parcel in my domain where uh, there are certain things which are user friendly right and yes. and they just seem so normal because you you know the term called invisible design right yes, so it's, it's yes, it becomes yes. that way and then you really need to put that extra effort to help people understand that yes it is invisible because it is being thought through and then yes. it's very naturally flowing yeah it's very difficult to teach clients like so when they come into a project they think they're spending you know x lakhs or x crores they feel like it's such a big number but when you actually sit and break down and if you want to pay for items that are original and that are good so just like a small example uh wood wood is such a diverse material i mean there is literally hundreds and hundreds of woods that you can get so if you say you've got hardwood furniture there are woods that are treated in completely different ways different temperature different expansion and contraction rates different reactions to humidity so we had one project that uh, we had heard about some years ago where there was a hotel that was made where the designer brought in and insisted on bringing in Canadian beech okay. Canadian beech wood and it's a very very expensive wood very expensive wood they brought it in for the project and they made all the door frames door jams doors from this beech wood it looked amazing within one year of indian climate all the door frames have popped and all the doors have expanded and contracted in ways that you know it really should never have so we don't ha- like there's such a importance in having a fundamental understanding for materials as well like what kind of wood are you using wood is not just wood so if you are paying you know 10000 rupees a gun foot for a wood to a lay person you'd be like who is this dumbo that's paying that much money but there's so many varieties it's like it's like a black hole you can jump into and you can keep swimming and find out more information mm. but it's important to know and that's why you hire a designer that's why you don't just go to pinterest and say chalo ye banao mere liye to your contractor that's why you do that you know have someone there whose job it is to know and understand materials and how best to use them mm-hmm. wow, brilliant i did two interviews uh, uh some time back one with uh, siddharth siroi from baro mm-hmm. and we spoke about <laughs> furniture material antique especially yes and then with aziz kachwala also with where we Product spoke design. about yeah yeah So yeah I got to know obviously I also did with one uh, professor from IDC uh, NID mm. called Praveen Singh Solanki and he's been working on bamboo for a very long time Amazing. so it's a different material Amazing. altogether so a lot of insights there uh, with respect to material as such So I feel like Indian consumers they don't understand material very well so they'll order furniture off you know urban ladder or pepper fry which is furniture that's meant to last you one or two years mm-hmm. and then they'll buy it at this cheap price and they say are useless furniture i bought all coming apart and it's like but did you not read what you're buying like you know what you're getting yourself into so mm-hmm. now you can't complain about it mm-hmm. uh, coming apart mm-hmm. so yeah we definitely need a lot of education about the type of materials being mm-hmm. used mm-hmm. Uh, so sir i want to ask you the next thing is uh, how do you pick what to retain in the new and what to let go from the old oh, again philosophical or maybe you can just take a very um, 
done example which you recently did or maybe in your career and maybe set the background through that from an example so what we usually do is that like i think that that a space has to have a context so if you're making an apartment it's not just an apartment what area is it in what building is it in what is it overlooking what is the original structure what is the original vision that the architect had for the space so i'll give you two examples one is my own home which i did last year in december it was built by iam kadri the legendary architect um who's made most of south bombay buildings and the way he had envisaged the space was with teak wood windows white terrazzo floors white and green speckled terrazzo floors and these this beautiful arch detail that went all across the home so when we actually on the exterior or interior on the interior okay. so it, it's there on the exterior and then it goes through the interior so all like the the moldings in the archways the doorways there's this specific molding so when we actually got the space we restored all his original details to the space first mm. whatever he had envisaged and then we did the interiors with the context and background of that so another example which is more contemporary is we recently did a project at world one uh, which was designed by armani casa now armani casa has got this very slick italian very modern not even contemporary feel and we saw some of the other apartments that were done in world one and people have done this very indiany type of decor and very traditional and it doesn't work you know it doesn't work because the context of the home is modern it's italian modern so you have to work within that so choosing what to keep and what to let go of it's very based on the architecture and the interiors has to be a marriage it can't be that the architect has given you one thing and as an interior designer you decide you know screw it i'm going to do exactly the opposite of what was intended for the space because it doesn't match then it becomes a clash of ideas so within a space i do think that that vision of the exterior has to continue through into the interior and that's what makes it successful or mm. that's what makes it work and that's what you know what to keep and what to let go of but i'll have a slightly counterpoint to this mm. so especially in the bombay context yes. right people are struggling for spaces yes. so a lot of times what happens is you get a you get a 2 bhk which is hardly like 560 square feet correct right so in this case a sane client would say i would rather have like a 1 bhk made in yes. 560 yes. so you break these walls and yes. help me have a bigger living room or have yeah. a bigger bedroom yeah. so in this case you're breaking certain civil structures yeah. right so how does that work because then you have to either convince your client that uh, let's retain this mm. or then take some middle way out to ensure that the client's requirements are also done yet ensuring that architecture is not troubled obviously this is leaving aside the constraints within the architecture like rcc or so if it's like a new construction building where the building doesn't really have too much character mm. and it's not like an art deco structure or it's not an art nouveau structure or it's not a you know fancy building and it's just a regular normal building then is no holds bar for us we consider that to be a blank canvas we can break every single wall as long as it's structurally sound we can remove absolutely everything from the space and rethink it completely mm-hmm. so in those situations i would say everything can go we can lose all of it because those in those kinds of buildings the architect doesn't have a clear or a strong vision it's just like here are your three rooms and here is your door and that's about it 
so mm-hmm. in those kinds of situations then i really feel like you can go in whatever direction you want to go in whatever your preference is whatever you're feeling like suits the space so we recently did a 700 square feet 720 square feet two bedroom hall kitchen so very small because you know there was a hall there was a significant hall dining area kitchen and two bedrooms and two bathrooms all within the 760 so we did this entire thing as an exercise in space planning we broke all the walls we restructured the entire flat it looks nothing like what the builder has given but it just makes a lot more sense and mm-hmm. the building is completely characterless it literally is just like <laughs> Yeah, it's like a cement structure with uh, some kind of bland paint on the outside. So in those situations, I would do whatever you want to do, no restrictions. But if you do have a space that has some, yes, character. you have to be respectful to that. Mm-hmm. I think going against that, then it doesn't somewhere match. Mm. Oh, interesting. I did uh, one interview with B V Dushi. Yes, and I asked him what is happening to all the architectures, uh, architects. in the country i mean you can see same structures except for south bombay i think rest of the city yes. looks almost similar andheri would look like a thane same glass buildings and he brilliantly put saying that the architects are no longer poets <laughs> and and that was really a defining so the way you said that they really don't have a character yeah. i think it is it is due to that artistic bend otherwise it's not possible but i do agree and i do think that it is very sad because uh, as indians we first of all have one of the world's richest histories in design literally we are the pioneers in so many areas of design yet if you were to see the buildings that were churning out today it's absolute crap they're not I have not recently seen even one building where I feel like it's beautiful, you know. Mm. Even if you look at the building of some of the richest people that are there in Bombay, the architecture is so basic, you know, of the buildings and the structures that they're making. It's very basic. There's nothing earth-shattering, ground-breaking, you know, path-making about their architecture. It's it's just like cement, glass, squares, rectangles, lift. stay lobby marble 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 finished <laughs> it's very frustrating because you go to so many cities that are young that are developing and we are a young city we're growing at you know an immense rate an area like lower perel has literally come up in the last 10 years we had the potential to shape this area to be a you know completely new design language and nobody took the bait we're all producing buildings that are looking like clones of each other or different variations Nobody is even attempting anything different, you know. I feel like Imperial Towers is the only one that attempted something slightly different. Oh, you know, not, Imperial oh. Towers is are these two towers in Tardeo. Okay. Very a uh, Shaparji Palanji. Mm-hmm. Very interesting at least different architecture, you know, the facade, the way they've done the glass, at least that's slightly different. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, yeah, I mean we may it is a concrete jungle. it's all lacking character and if you you know put a blindfold on me and spun me around a few times i wouldn't know which building was which <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it is sad very yeah. sad very 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 sad all right <laughs> uh, so what ensures uh, so when you say that the two parts right we can again take these two examples when the architecture is already there uh, great architecture with character with personality um what are the elements which ensure that the new 
is basically maintaining the same soul if i may use that word hmm. right there's a certain vibe to that place yes uh like if you transform it how do you ensure that the same vibe is retained so the thing Or is do you even no so i feel like if the builder and if the construction has been thoughtless then i don't retain any vibe or i don't feel like i owe it to anyone to retain a vibe mhm but if it is uh if it has been done with any thought or care then i will also behave respectful towards that structure because really the architecture and interiors you're clapping with two hands so if you know one person has not upheld their end of the bargain and the builder has just literally given us this very very boring shell i don't owe anyone anything i can literally paint all the walls bright pink and do the floors in bright yellow if i wanted to and mm-hmm. it's my choice mm-hmm. i don't think i owe anything to anyone for that and then i can be as creative as i want to be then then in that case you define the vibe yes absolutely in that mm-hmm. case i could set the tone i could make this into like a really moody lounge or i could make it into like a really bright airy space i could make it into whatever i feel like is a good healthy mix between what the clients want and what you know we are envisaging for the space but uh absolutely we definitely need to improve the architecture in the city a lot mm-hmm. and it's not for lack of talent but i do feel like the builders somewhere need to um you know come up with some more creative things like even uh I've been seeing this project Kanakya Paris. I mean, we've got so many beautiful structures in India. Why are we trying to make something like Paris in a suburb of Bombay? None of this makes sense to me. You know, like it—it's just—it's very silly. Some of these concepts that the builders are coming up with, mm. with the amount of money that they have, and the amount of resources that they have, and the amount of power that they have to literally change the entire direction of this city and how it's looking, mm. they don't take it seriously enough. So as interior designers we are constrained to the four walls within what they give us. Mm-hmm. So we can we do our best then mm-hmm. with that. But when there's South Bombay buildings and structures, we usually always stay respectful to an art deco, the art deco heritage that is there in Bombay, even just through materiality, through look, feel, vibe, small small things. Mm-hmm. But we do stay respectful. So we're doing a marine drive apartment now and uh, absolutely intend on being respectful to the heritage of a marine drive building what comes with being a building on marine drive and how to treat the house with respect and you know mhm being seriously thought, like seriously thinking about the area and the context of the space interesting i'm like the 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 flow of the conversation is perfectly going as i had envisioned and that's why this is uh the second last question which i have uh like starting off with this old and new and then yes. coming to the practical aspect which i spoke earlier about uh this has been my personal question also because i recently did and uh how do you make the client envision what you had visualized mm-hmm. right because uh, at least from my exposure which is very very limited uh in the interior space but in the in the online world i keep making prototypes or as close to as the final product but in this case you can't really make the final product it's still in the computer or in a 3d studio max or somewhere so what is the process like to help client understand that this is what i'm going to do with it so we have a few tricks that this we this could be a very like a uh, 
preachy question as in preachy answer but yes no no like. so we have a few tricks that we do uh with this is that um obviously we do our mood board material charts you know that whole process the same design process that i'm sure everyone goes through but sometimes what we will do is we will throw in uh in the mood board material chart one completely left field uh design idea and then the idea right after that is exactly the idea that we want the client to get on board with mm-hmm. so we'll show them some we'll show them a first medium design idea the second design idea we'll show them will be very left field and then the client is obviously in their head thinking no way no way no way and then the third last idea comes which is exactly what we want for the space and then they usually get on board with that but i do disagree with your uh, your statement that it's very difficult to envisage a space because technology has just advanced so much you have like your oculus glasses that you can wear you can do an absolute 3d walk through of an entire space if you see the 3d renders that are being generated now you literally can do like a spot the difference between the real place and the 3d render because the quality of 3d renders has become unbelievable there are softwares like sketchup which are so easy and quick to use so in fact it's never been a better time to explain to clients or to show clients exactly what your vision is mm-hmm. but it is becoming a very difficult time to show clients what your vision is because now clients are coming with their entire list of pinterest and house mood boards and images so for you as a designer you have to really step up your game and give them something so much better that they would ever find on pinterest or house which is very difficult mm-hmm. because the guys that get featured there are some of the world's best designers you know and then also it has to be within the client's budget which is the other thing because yeah. they are dreaming of louis vuitton and they can afford fashion street you know mm-hmm. so it's very difficult to try and make those worlds match mm-hmm. so i i think that given the amount of 3d rendering softwares that are there and technology is going to be the best friend of interior design and architecture so you believe in investing a lot of time in the pre production work where you actually so we go into 3d rendering immediately so we'll do one plan you know in 2d and then we all automatically move on to 3d instantly because we find that once you've envisaged the entire project then we go back to 2d and do the you know the services your civil plumbing electrical hvac flooring uh, wall breaking all those layouts we'll do them after but we break the system of what people usually do so usually you know they'll generate all the 2d drawings and then in the last they'll go to 3d mm-hmm. we start with the 3d so that the client from day 1 is on board they know exactly what the space is going to look like because that's all that matters right mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether your ac is one foot in the front or one foot in the back that doesn't have that much impact or whether your wc is placed you know in a specific location the look and feel and mood boards are not enough when we have access to so many 3d rendering softwares we should just take full advantage of it and we're living in this digital world the softwares are evolving so much it's unbelievable the amount of 3d mm-hmm. you know the 3d capacity that's there right now but isn't it expensive to generate 3d it is but everything that's good is expensive <laughs> okay. anything that's good is expensive and i think you can't put a price on well you can put a price but it is so important to see exactly what your project is going to look like because if you've seen it as a client and the contractor has seen it 
then the final product turns out looking exactly like that there's no nothing lost in translation because the designer's not envisaging something else and the clients in his you know it's like chinese whispers then what the designer's thinking tells the client the client thinks something else they tell the contractor contractor tells the client it all or the wife tells the husband the wife the tells husband the husband it all gets lost completely mm-hmm. and then they'll tell the mother-in-law and father-in-law those guys will think of something else totally <laughs> just get the 3d render done so it's worth uh, getting 100% and it's really become much less expensive than it used to be mm-hmm. but i'm waiting to see the next wave of technology come through and i'm a huge proponent of technology and using it in every single way possible mm-hmm. so we have like if there are like laser measure tapes or i mean anything to do with technology i'm the first person to get on board because <laughs> i think it's an incredible tool for our business yeah yeah obviously um cool i think uh, uh, i have one last question obviously there a lot of things to be uh, like generally documented and have a conversation regarding um, regarding interior or architecture in general to educate people more mm-hmm. but just given the time frame and the topic which we had discussed i would like to conclude with one last question which sure. is uh is it good for the client to keep looking at the work in progress and this is oh i'll God. tell you two three examples Tough one. yeah because uh, when i like probably 10 years back i was trying to redo my uh, yesd bike which i have which is like a 1983 model and uh, i used to go and frequently visit and the the guy said please don't come often because the shape in which you will look at your things you hardly won't visualize when it, when it will be put together right so in this case also and with my interior house work like you see where the pipe is going from or where, before putting the false ceiling i'm asking to scrape the first put some color but he said don't worry because it's going to get closed yeah. right so all those things uh, how how should a client be taken to uh, a work in progress site and how frequently or any any ideas which you have so in an in ideal process? world we we have the client come limited times mm-hmm. because uh there are so what we say is there are three phases for a home the first when you get the bare shell possession like with no walls okay the house looks huge if there's no walls then you build all the walls for the house if you i'm saying if you got completely bare shell as soon as all the walls have come up suddenly the space looks very small and the client starts freaking out oh shit it's only so small you know it was looking so big earlier when you know no walls were up and then when they get the context of furniture blocks place then when the carpentry comes they go back to saying oh it's so big it's so spacious you've done such a good job with space planning so all the clients without a doubt they have this arc so big oh my god so small what happened oh it's so big thank you so much mm-hmm. so it's very difficult as a client to envisage a lot of things to do with the space but the problem is that when clients are spending 2 crores or 3 crores on their interiors obviously that's a lot of hard earned money and i would be very sympathetic to someone spending that amount of money on their home so they would not be okay with just leaving it up to the interior designer and contractor and they themselves keep coming and checking in Mm-hmm. but in an ideal world we would have it very structured where maybe once a month or once in two months they would come and check in or just check in on the line out marking that's happening to ensure that everything is up to the mark because at some point you have to let the designer design mm-hmm. and i have i will 100% say that in projects where my clients have not interfered with design i have done a much better job mm-hmm. i have delivered better 
and I have thrown in a lot of extra perks that I would have never done otherwise. And in the clients, in the projects where clients have really sat on my head and said, no, not this, no, not this, you lose interest. Mm -hmm. You tend to lose interest and you tend to get demotivated because nobody wants to be managed that much. Mm -hmm. So you tend to do a worse job and what your original vision gets very derailed. So client interactions, while they have every right to be there on the site, it has to be done in a very respectful and a very limited number of visits because they don't understand the job. That's why they've hired you. You understand the job. You will be there regularly and make sure everything is going to track or to plan. But I think having a client come to site... So we we had a project once where the people were living in the house, which is the worst kind of project to get. Which is happening with me right It's now. the worst. It's <laughs> the worst because every day you're there and you're seeing how many people have come. One guy has not come at 11. He's come at 11.30. You're calling the designer. It's 11.30. The labor has not come on site. You know, so it just, it really just spoils the entire process because it all happens. It all eventually will happen. You know, deadlines will be adhered to. It'll all be fine. But if you look at it with such a close magnifying glass every day, it's just a nightmare for everyone involved. Contractor, especially interior designer, client, and it's a breeding ground for ill feelings. Mm -hmm. So limited client interactions. And during the design process, what we say is that interactions have to be like all the time when the design is being locked in. When execution is happening, then the client has to mind their own business, be on their way and just entrust that the project is being handled mm-hmm. by the capable interior designer and the capable contracting team. Wow. Yeah. This is so brilliant. This is so brilliant <laughs> because uh, one of my very close friends is an interior designer and okay. I would really like her to listen to this part because it's really uh, interesting take and well articulated I mean these are thoughts which are there but it's just well articulated so so. even something like a bed Hmm. okay if you actually see the bed when it's being constructed a regular bed height is 450 mm or 18 inches if you actually see that laid out in a space without the mattress without the mattress without the mattress okay so uh, oh sorry it can be either Hmm. okay Hmm. so sometimes we do like even a 12 inch or 13 inch bed and then on top of that we put an 8 inch mattress So when you actually see the framework of that bed come up, it looks very low. It looks very, very, very low Mm -hmm. in person. But that is the standard height for a bed that you've always used your whole life. But you've never seen it being built or you've never seen it without a mattress. So without a doubt, every time, every time on a side we're building a bed, the client comes and says, this is too low. No, 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 no. You have to make it higher. Mm -hmm. So in some of my very early projects, we gave into pressure made the bed higher because the client like insisted no I don't want such a low bed you know I said please this is standard height please 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 no 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 no. it's too low too low too low we've made it high by the time the mattress has come it's a completely uh, impractical and useless bed and then eventually the client is going to look back and think that my designer gave me the wrong advice mm. so that's why you have to limit client interactions because they don't understand certain things and it does look weird. Even the first few times I saw it, I had also asked the contractor, itna niche hai? Like, it's too low, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is how it is. But you don't realize it until you're on the job. So please, clients, if you're listening to this, leave your interior designers alone. Let them handle it. You're paying them a lot of good money to do it. So please just let them do their jobs. Trust them. Yeah. Trust them because otherwise then there's no sense in giving an interior designer. You may as well get a design brief and you do the execution with the contractor. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way. Otherwise yeah. then it becomes very difficult. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Lot of, lot of interesting takeaways for me <laughs> and uh, for some people I know definitely. <laughs> so I think this is a good note to end this. Uh, you have anything to share? How do people follow you and stop one of the like spamming you with? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I have an Instagram account called Isaji's Atelier. E S S A J E E S Atelier. A T E L I E R. It's one word. My name is Sara Sham. and i'm really active on instagram so that's always a good place to find me we also have a website which is isajizatelia.com um but uh, social media is always very easy place uh, i love instagram and i love posting lots of pictures so it's definitely it's where uh, our you. lovely <laughs> friend today has found me as well kedar so uh, definitely check out the profile and send some love my way that would be really nice sure sure Okay, thank you. It was nice thank talking. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, was it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun having this uh, very uh, philosophical conversation about design in general and especially old and new. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Okay, that's it. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on audiogyan.com. Till then, bye. Hello. It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharad. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program. and hdfc mutual fund thanks guys without you this would not be possible do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3 blockchain nfts daos what are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet so many questions but don't worry we've got answers to all your questions Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.